I'm David Herskovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram, at ShopBurb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Light Culture. We're going to do something a little different this time. We're going to go... Um, excuse, excuse, excuse the sound effects there, but uh, he's already intruded himself into the conversation. DJ Kibitz is with me today. And what do you want from me here? And I'm going to review a lot of what uh, we've talked about over the year. Oy. And hopefully uh, we'll get a couple of laughs as oh, well yeah. out of the whole thing. <laughs> So uh, we've had 24 guests, and my first show was on 420, that, that fateful day. What do you think of the 420 and how it's become uh, a global celebration? Uh, you know, look, any, any, any holiday that uh, is going to give people a shot at getting together and getting stoned together and enjoying uh, the culture, even if it's debased somewhat from what it should be, from my view, um, is a good thing. Who can who can complain? You know, I'm with you on that. And it used to have more of a political overtone too. You know, I mean, it was a time. You know, Ann Arbor hash bash was 420, and the Boston Commons would do a big thing. And it was a it was a free state. It was an area of allowable cannabis consumption in a time of great oppression. So it actually had some more heft. Right, when it was more yeah. illegal and yeah. underground and dangerous and all those things. I don't know about dangerous, but let's... Well, dangerous to be a consumer or... Yeah, right, right. In exactly. any way. You're right, my bad. And uh, so one thing, as you were suggesting, there's a wide range of backgrounds and experience to my guests this year, and Absolutely. they've all had one thing in common, which is cannabis. And that thing about cannabis, which it brings people together, stand around in a circle, smoke a joint with the group, and suddenly we have something in common. Yeah, it's real. That's right. And so let's take, for example, my first guest that started my show in Light Culture, Fab Five Fred Brathwaite. Fab Five Freddy. Who could, I mean, who could uh, deny him his, his, his uh, place in uh, cannabis history thanks to that great movie he made? The Grass is Greener. The grass is Greener. Fantastic, fantastic. And, you know, like uh, being uh, transparent here, we both know Mr. Brathwaite. And I've never met the man. I'm never met the man. That's what I was saying. <laughs> like, <laughs> never I deny, I can confirm nor deny that reality. But just because you know somebody doesn't mean you automatically like their output. I mean, that's not 100%. I mean, I get why you're disclosing that, but... No, I was no, just... In fact, me knowing Fred... Might cause me to not like his output. So, <laughs> hello, Fred. Are you listening? Okay, this is DJ Kibitz talking. Yeah. Uh, so, when uh, one of the things that came up, and that's that's something that's part of the conversation today, in general, in the cannabis universe, which is the word marijuana and cannabis, and and it's oh, the uh, descriptive. Yeah. I'm just going to quote from something he said. Yes, they applied the word marijuana to make it sound more Mexican to give it the other kind of thing. They could say Mexicans are smoking that evil drug and they'll get your girl high and have their way with her sexually. The whole period we refer to as the reefer madness era. 
when there was a concerted effort to give the plant this negative perception. So how do you feel about the cannabis versus marijuana? Or I, You know, I'm actually probably one of those people who would rather smoke marijuana than cannabis. <laughs> so you don't buy into the... I do. Uh, I mean, you know, look, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't deny that the, the actual um, horticultural name for the plant is cannabis sativa or indica or rudialis or what have you. But I love the idea of smoking marijuana when I was a teenager. And I think that it's a rebellious thing. It's like they put this label on it and it's our way of saying, yeah, we like that label. Fuck you. You know, we're not, we're not intimidated by your terminology. We know that it doesn't create this horror that, you know, they were trying to perpetrate. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just an old schoolist. You know, uh, give me give me a good old fashioned join us some marijuana. You know what I mean? That's that's later. I don't want a pre roll of any cannabis. <laughs> well, Keith Straub, who if you know, one, is of, one the of the heroes of the movement, founder of yeah, Normal, absolutely. and absolutely. also was a guest on the show. We'll get back to him later. Wow, you were lucky enough to speak to Keith. That's right. That's very happy to, yeah. to no, have he was had an that opportunity. Guy. Didn't he smoke weed in the White House or something? Wasn't that his? He did. Well, he right. uh, we talked about that in the show as well about how. Uh, someone did cocaine in the White House well, at a party at Jack uh, Carter at a Christmas party, right. um, and oh yeah, that was a bit of a scandal. That was a scandal, yeah, and right. he was actually forced to resign right. from Normal at that right. time. But then he, they brought him back later when they realized they really needed him. But the point I wanted to make is uh, with regard to the marijuana cannabis question. Yes, when I asked him about it. He made a good point, which was, well, he, he also supports the marijuana right. word because he says that's how what the world knows it as. Okay. And, and that's what it's familiar as. And okay, although that's starting to shift and change, too. I think more and more people are comfortable with both words being used to describe. The, well, I think a lot plant. of it comes from the industry, you know, trying to destigmatize Well, you themselves. remember you remember the uh, Seymour Stein when he, he did the whole... Uh, call it new wave not punk well he was the sire records seven golly who basically gave us the ramones the talking heads madonna but in the punk era he he was constantly trying to rebrand punk as new wave he gave new, the world the words new wave which was successful which too. very successful but um well Unless you count, uh, you know, the 800 synth bands that came out. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and it no became offense, a bad word. No, no offense, all of us. We love you. We love you. We love you. Yeah. So, uh, so, okay, so Fred also, in his movie, uh, Grass is Greener, made a point about uh, the social justice issue that's about. Bit... Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that so, up because uh, it was that... a real highlight of the movie. Because everything else in the movie, uh, for anybody of a certain age, the information was known. It was really well presented and, and gave everybody, a, you know, certainly an entertaining view of information. But when the last little bit there where he was drilling into the injustice and the ridiculous sentencing that was uh, used in most of America uh, was amazing. I mean, it was really, it sold the movie for me. And uh, to quote him, he says, one of the things my film really looks at is the disproportionate focus of law enforcement on people of color. 
And uh, one of the big problems in America, even though there's all this hype about the business of cannabis and the new money mm. being made, and you see the reports of white guys on yeah. business-type yeah. shows investing in cannabis, that's clearly where nowhere near anything close to cannabis culture, uh, whereas people of color were feeding their family, servicing people that wanted to purchase cannabis. Uh, in other words, saying that they kept the culture going, that was part of their life. I, I think that... That we can get into a, a discussion on race uh, and cannabis if you want to, but I do feel that there's a, you know, there's a there was a breaking point at some point in the history of uh, this culture, because what really was happening in the very early days was it was bringing blacks and whites together under the same cloak of illegality. White groovers of the 40s and early 50s were just as criminalized as the black hepcats and, and Harlem jazz you know, people. So it kind of was a weird uniting there. You know, it was like kind of, I guess, gave a white person an opportunity to understand the, the unfortunateness of the black circumstance in the late 40s and early 50s in America in a more, you know, visceral way. And that, and that kind of kept up. I would say until the mid '90s, but maybe it, it, you know, maybe I'm just going on my own personal observations there, uh, and it could have extended out further because it was, it, you know, in the '70s, in in the '50s and '40s and '50s, it was a, a a war on alternative thinkers, you know, people who weren't afraid of their black neighbors, people who weren't afraid of of exploring various political ideology, and then in the '60s and '70s, it almost became a war on youth. And, and it didn't matter to the police state whether you were a white kid or a black kid or a Hispanic kid or an Asian kid. You, you know, you were a kid. And if you had long hair or dressed a little funny or hung out with the wrong crowd quotes, um, you know, you were perceived as a threat and needed to be somehow policed or at least get your information into a database. But subsequent to that, when uh, the war on drugs hit, like in, in the 90s, let's mm. say, late well, 80s, 80s, and, yeah. uh, 90s, uh, then it became a more of a discriminatory That's right. thing. Yeah, they started using 100%. it as a way to yeah, control absolutely. a population, right? Well, and also as a way to oppress. I mean, in that, yeah. in that way, they were always using it as a tool. I mean, all drugs were a tool to oppress racial minority or whatever you want to call that, that group of people that they targeted. Charlie Parker was famously busted, you know, and Lenny Bruce was also famously busted. So it was kind of, you know, two people who were outspoken and changing things through their art were you, they used that as a tool to oppress. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's been a big story. Absolutely. Throughout the history. And uh, it still goes on today. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is so, the one thing about quote, cannabis culture that is a little tilted, but maybe I'm just not seeing the whole picture, is that the oppression is still there. There's only, what, 14 states where it's now, you know, quote, legal. And even in some of those states, it isn't really that legal. You know, you, you're in the wrong town or in the wrong county. And you're, you're sure you're not going to go to jail or have a threat of, you know, long no, you might. There were 500,000 people. Well, that's right. But year. that's right. Exactly. No, you're, 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 you're in for having to deal with the authorities, you know? Yeah. You're, and that's kind of a drag. Yes, know? totally. Um, another guest uh, was Abdullah Saeed, 
who's a, a voice of the new cannabis culture, I call him. A oh, young this is blood. the kid from Vice, right? That's right. Yeah. The young blood, he, he had that... Sorry, trait. I didn't mean to diminish him by calling him a kid. But He's a young man at this point, but he was kind of a kid when he was starting out okay, there in his on. 20s. But right, right. now he did the show Vice Does America, uh, creator and host of the viral cannabis short-form series Smokables. Uh, he was on high maintenance and was a writer on that, and and he had a column. Well, high maintenance, what a what a great show that was. Uh, yeah, or is, right. I, I hope they come still, back. I, think I don't it's still know. In production, I think yeah. they're they're coming back for one more season. And uh, and he also helped start the Bong Appetit. So he was really in oh, the early okay. days yeah. of putting this out there in a way that hadn't been covered by the media prior to that. Right. And I have to give Vice credit for. Mm-hmm being able to sort of try to normalize the uh, cannabis culture. Did you just say normalize? Yeah. Sorry. Is that a bad word? No, no, it was great because normal. Oh, there you go. Very good. Yeah, man, you should be working for them, the marketing (laughs) department. I don't know if they really need me. But so so now Abdullah moved to L.A. where he's working on a bunch of different cool projects. And so when we spoke, I asked him about uh, Governor Newsom and his policies towards the growers in Northern California. And this is what he said. This is totally how a drug war happens. For example, now that the government has a vested interest in legal cannabis, they're going to use military might to squeeze out anybody who is seen as black market. Despite the fact that market has existed for over two decades and has functioned pretty well, and that this new market is bullshit. So this is an interesting thing, actually. A lot of people see MedMen, and they see there's a green rush, right? Well, in reality, here's what's happening in California, and it's crazy to me that when you watch the news, the subtext that you normally see is that legal cannabis is failing massively. Yeah. People are not buying as much legal cannabis in the legal license stores. as. Well, they- yeah, but also... Can I just interject a, a factoid? Sure. Uh, the factoid is is that some ridiculously large number of counties do not allow recreational distribution. They they don't. There's no rec shops in the counties, so therefore there's no tax income. And the entire area. state. It just yeah, they, depends I mean, on the counties. To, given the choice between driving a hundred miles to pay seventy five dollars for a jar that you can't open until you buy it. Uh, and forty dollars from the guy down the road who you've known for twenty years for something that you can smell and taste and have a joint and you know whatever. Yeah, you know you're going to lose that battle. Right, and that's part of the yeah. parcel and problem of the whole. No, he's hundred percent legalization right. yeah, 100%, 100%. thing. And he says the black market is back. The black market for cannabis. Can we in not California. use that term anymore? I think okay. really what we need to which use term you're talking about traditional market. Oh, black market? Well, black market indicates that there's some kind of nefarious business going on, and that's not really the case. You know, I mean, I think that, sure, there's probably pockets of every business from banking to cannabis that have a dark energy to it. But when you use terms like black market, it diminishes the solidity of, um, you know, as as Abdullah was saying, you know, 20-year, 30-year marketplace that pretty much operated with very low impact on the uh, environment around it. Well, one of the terms that people are using now uh, to deal with this very same subject is legacy market. Okay, legacy traditional. Trying to find like a way again, but again, we're like sort of neutering 
Well, we're trying um, to change. Like it's just like marijuana to cannabis. Exactly, you know, yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the language matters, right? The words that you Always. use to Abs- describe absolutely. something really make absolutely. a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like you know, the word "fuck" can be real pleasant or really not. Well, you know, think about that first. Well, hey, man, you know, come she, back to she you. fucked me so lovely, or oh, she fucked me. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Uh, next uh, person that uh, we spoke with this year is uh, Steve D'Angelo. Oh, that guy. That guy, right? So I, I, I confess as a relative newbie to today's cannabis celebrities in conversation, I didn't really know who D'Angelo was. Uh, but since then, I've seen he's, he's a very active on Twitter. He has emerged as one of the most articulate activists who's been able to play both sides as a financial player and investor, as well as an outsider fighting to get the social justice message its place. Uh, So we talked about how the OGs of cannabis aren't getting their due in the green rush, Mm. how a culture that promotes a different set of values evolved in the cannabis underground. Let me read you this uh, quote. I think it's really important because what happened in those years is that most of the people who were involved with cannabis were people who had a close personal relationship to the plant and learned lessons from the planet and informed the way that we lived our lives and engaged with each other. And in the aggregate, aggregate, it built a culture, a very special culture, a culture that promotes a very different set of values than mainstream culture does. So... I wonder if if which came first, the chicken or the egg in that case. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how old he is, but he's talking. He's like, he sounds like somebody he's, who's, he's you know, 60s. within our age group, but not quite. Because I think that there was a turning of the wheel that was happening anyway, uh, especially if, if you were alive and, and, and somewhat cognizant in the late 60s, mid 60s. There was a turning of the wheel. Was that turning of the wheel from cannabis use or psychedelic use, or was that because youth of the moment was shifting gears from how things had been done and either looking further back in history to how people lived in the Paris communes or in, uh, you know, Tibetan encampments or Indian villages or what have you. And they were bringing that into it. I don't know if cannabis was the strict catalyst to create that kind of brotherhood, sisterhood, we're all one tribalism that kind of came out of the 60s. But it certainly helped. As you said at the beginning of the show, you know, you, you, you're standing in front of a, at a wedding and you all go out to the patio to smoke a joint. You've instantly got something in common. Right. And, I, you know, it's a good question to think about is, like you're saying, who, which came first? I don't know. But I feel like that... There was something in the process was created. There was kind well, of an alternative union... culture that was distinct from the mainstream. Yes, but there was also culture the, the, or something. Well, yeah, but the bro culture is relatively new, thankfully. The um, and I don't say that as a complete white, you know, uh, brushstroke and you know, sweeping bro culture off the table. But it's a new manifestation in the last decade or so. But no, because you had the union organizers. You had you know, you go back into the 20s and 30s and there was a group, you know, the, the depression caused a lot of people to have to unite, even just to survive. 
You know, there's stories all over Brooklyn about, you know, families who would all pool their resources to create meals every night. So, you know, cannabis was seen for a long time, not just as the uh, relaxant for the foreigner invaders, (laughs) but for poor people. It was the, you know, poor people's thing because it could grow in your backyard and you could smoke it and feel better. Yeah, and people did. Continuing what he was saying, it's going to be more and more challenging to make sure that those cultural lessons that we've learned through this long experience with cannabis are transmitted on to the next generation of cannabis consumers. And so talking about our experiences... (laughs) Go ahead. Have you ever been to Harborside? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) With the plants. How we made it legal, why we were so passionately dedicated to it, why did we live under the helicopters... Why did we risk prison? Why did we get released from prison and go right back out and do it again? Yeah, because you believed in something greater than the uh, self. And you also, there was a certain amount of, you know, look, cannabis was also a wonderful way for people who had a outlaw karma or outlaw energy to exercise that outlawness without harming other people. You know, I'm thoroughly convinced that if it wasn't for cannabis... Uh, a lot of people in the 60s, 70s, and 80s would have become bank robbers. <laughs> you know? Joined um, the Hells Angels? Well, or, yeah, or done some other, you know, outlaw-y type thing that may have actually harmed human beings. You know? But uh, to the second point here, which is about the new cannabis culture, the corporate yeah. cannabis culture, and to the extent that those people are removed from that history to a large extent. But is that because of age or because of culture? You know, I mean, I think that there's some, like kids in their 20s now have pretty much grown up with cannabis as a, it's just always been there. It's not like something, I I wonder if any of them have ever experienced the drought, (laughs) you know, where they, oh, there's no weed. What are we going to do? Oh my God. So, you know, I think that there's some of that is not just a corporate implantation it's it's an age thing it's a generational thing that kind of has has kind of manifested it's a different group of people it's a whole different world and so the question becomes how do we bridge that gap but i think there is an answer potentially that i've discovered in my meeting these Mm. people and talking and having these conversations which i've really tend to believe now is that the that there's something in the plant in in the in marijuana that makes people into believers that it has like a power beyond just like getting you high, that it actually connects you to the universe. There's a lot of different realities that manifest when you alter your consciousness. And some of those are extremely long-lasting. They, they don't just exist for the experience, right? I mean, you know, there's writers who swear by scotch. <laughs> you know, there just are. Um, there's musicians who swear on, uh, on the Bible that it was the acid that helped them push the guitar to the next level or whatever they're playing to the next level. So I, I you know, I, I think that the plant absolutely can open those doors in the mind, but the person's also has to have that karma. Definitely. I mean, it's individual, but at, at the same time, you know, just thinking about CBD as one of the big of the this year's scam, scam. <laughs> that came out this year. But, you know, and all the research that's associated yeah, with it, that yeah. people are discovering and verifying scientifically yes. that there are these properties no, 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 apps, that exist that, uh, you know, I had somebody sitting right across from me in your seat mm. recently 
uh, who's in a forthcoming uh, podcast with Chelsea Leyland, mm-hmm. who was cured from epilepsy right. through CBD. Not cured, but no, no, but controlling. It, it diminished the yeah. Yeah, and she has no uh, seizures. Seizures, yeah. right? Thank right, you. Right. She has no seizures for epilepsy like two years since using it. So there's a lot of yeah, power absolutely. to this plant that's yeah. like still just being unleashed. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Really yeah. amazing to. Well, not to forget that you know, I mean, China. Yeah. Has been making hemp clothing all you know this entire time. I mean, they've been banging out hemp fibers and and on all sorts of well, fabrics Chinese for a long, long time. Is, I mean, I've seen yeah, and there's some cannabis products in Chinese herbal that they yeah. go back thousands of years. Yeah. They say. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to verify this, but well, there was that. Chinese tomb that was discovered. This is years ago. May have even been so long ago that it was in high times, uh, and they found some five thousand year old weed. <laughs> you it's know? still good. Man. Yeah, it still worked. <laughs> um, so another uh, one of my guests this year that I really love is Vanessa, quote Marigold Lavarado, who I call the It Girl of Pot. Ooh. Along with uh, Cypress Hills Be Real, she hosts Vice TV's Bong Appetit Show. Job, right, so she's right. a cook. She comes yeah. from the food world, but right. she got early involved with cannabis when nice. she was nice. living in uh, Berkeley and going to school and um, started working with Alice Waters. She invented chicken pot pie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to ask her next time I see her. And she makes the beautiful chocolate, the marigold-infused oh. chocolates that are really beautiful and delicious. Nice, nice. So we talked about craft farming and having a small business in the age of weed, Inc. Oh, you mean in terms of cannabis? Like yes. A, yeah, like a small farms family and... kind of farm thing. Well, I mean, the laws are making that either difficult or, or possible. Exactly. Right. This is So what she said was, that I definitely think that it was kind of this universal moment of we need to be eating organic. We need to be going back to the earth. Right we need to be thinking about how we can support our local farmers. Preach. Preach. I think that's also important with cannabis. Huh. I hope that that yeah. doesn't get lost with the legisla- legalization yeah. of cannabis. Yeah. It's hard to it's be a cultivator to... and get licensed and go through all the hoops to work in this industry. Right on. Okay, so you bring up an interesting point, or she brought up an interesting point. It's not the concept, it's the regulations. From what I experienced this summer when I was traveling around, going to, I went to Colorado, uh, Oregon, Washington, and California, all states that have legal cannabis. Oregon seemed to have it the most together in in regards to letting these small craft farms develop and and not over-regulate and not regulate them to the point of improfitability or lack of, you know, motivation for a business to, you know, person to invest in. Washington has still got a lot of bumps. California's got a lot of bumps. And, and, you know, it's, it's when we get into craft brewing or craft cannabis or craft anything, you're talking about uh, an expertise that's needed, right? A, a real, to use the D'Angelo connection. And um, I think that there's a, uh, that's where the corporate thing gets ugly because they don't want that. They don't want small operator mom and pop farms encroaching on their multi hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars investment. And given what's happened in America, you know, it, they very well could and they might, uh, you know, I mean, and which would you rather have? Hundreds of small farms or three big farms? Big agra. Yeah, big ag, that's right, big 
Ag. <laughs> <laughs> Big ag. Agra, pharma, agra. Yeah. You know? No, no. It's all part of the same problem. And, yeah. And there's you know. a lot of talk in, in the cannabis world as well that mm -hmm. eventually this was, was all going to be run by like three companies Which is or, a drag. Less. Which would be a drag. Because you know it'll end up in the hands of the liquor industry. Yeah. You know. I mean, Budweiser and Coca-Cola will, you know. Which are already I mean, involved, Yeah, they're right? there. Well, I don't know how deep, but they're definitely getting ready. Yeah, you, you remember. You must remember back in the seventies or even sixties, Philip uh, Morris before my time. Man. Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. I forgot. You're thirty, Dave. <laughs> um, but uh, Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds had trademarked or copyrighted Acapulco Gold and Panama Red, and you know whatever. I, that was always. I you didn't know. know if it was true yeah, or I urban mean, myth. Or yeah, not. exactly. It was always part of the mythos. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That we knew they were going to get involved one yeah, of these days yeah. if they hadn't already done so. Right, right. And now in the South, in their land, there's all this hemp growing now that's like right. really will yeah. replace yeah. tobacco in some ways. Well, there's an interesting crinkle in the whole hemp thing, just to focus on that for one second. It is the industrial applications for hemp. You know? Yeah. I huge, mean, right? you know, there, there's huge burgeoning industries in Europe uh, and Holland. I think they have a, a company that makes these plastic molded bricks from cannabis that last longer, not environmentally toxic, blah, blah, you know, down the checklist of, of goodness. Um, and, and that's starting in America now. I've heard stories. Yeah. Well, companies not wanting the actual CBD oriented hemp. But they want the after wash. Oh, so using you know, the post, materials post-industrial waste. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you know, if they could create a industry of homogeneous, no impact. Wow. Well, Jack Herrera, who you should shout out to uh, because may, he's Jack Herrera. Long Herrera's. may his energy last. The emperor's uh, wears emperor's clothes. No, the emperor wears no clothes. The emperor wears no clothes, who <laughs> did the, the, the foundational work yeah, on all of, of hemp history and potential. And a very interesting strain. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he had anything to do with oh, it. Oh, the, the, the Herrera strain, <laughs> yeah, that's always good, too. Um, but no, Jack was a very important person in the cannabis history, absolutely. absolutely. And a friend of Steve D'Angelo, by the way. I'm sure. Uh, so another man uh, that was on my show was Garrett Louis G-Man, who's from Vancouver. He runs the Fortune Sounds Club, and he also is uh, has a company called F-Bomb Trading, which distributes streetwear. So he's kind of an... This guy's into initials, right? <laughs> he's, an, yeah, he's into initials. He's, a, he's, a, he's also a DJ, so that's where the oh, G-Man comes. Go. So okay. he, uh, you know, he's a guy. He knows what's going on. He's a, a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. He's very much a culture. Well, you know what you call a guy who was a dishwasher in London when he moves to New York, right? What? Superstar DJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would know, right? Boom. <laughs> So uh, we talked about it, and I asked him, you know, because he's not really like a cannabis guy. I mean, he, of course, oh. he's sampled, and he knows, you know, he lives in Vancouver. He kind of right. grew up in it because right. it was kind of wide-open Amsterdam yeah. style for all these years before. And so I asked him, what if, would he be invest in, the, you know, given that where he comes from, mm -hmm. and he has money, and he's a businessman, why didn't he invest in cannabis? Oh. And he says, it's not like I haven't been asked. But I think there's still a little bit of that thing inside me that said, well, what if the rules change? It's almost like a dream. Pinch me. What if it's over tomorrow? I mean, I've never wanted my name on some sort of card when you have to get into a store 
like MedMen or somewhere, you know, where you have to give them all this information. Oh. I just did, didn't really trust the government that way because there was also a time, a brief time, where if your name was involved in the cannabis industry in Vancouver that you weren't getting into America, they stopped, you know, Trump for a minute stopped people from getting into Canada, to the U.S. Oh, really? from Canada okay, yeah. if they were associated with cannabis. Yeah, so, you know, as a businessman who travels and has all these things, he, he felt that... It so he wasn't really willing to, no, to and he, put the risk on the table. And then he thinks it's also too late, that it's already become like such a big play that, um, you know, the small businessman can't uh, really get involved that much. It's personal. You know, cannabis and, and, and cannabis industry and whether you call it cannabis or marijuana or you smoke with your friends or alone or with your significant other or alone or... You smoke walking the streets or you do it in the privacy of your own home or you only enjoy it on a mountaintop. It's all personal. Uh, so that's his personal take. I, you know, I think that the cannabis industry, the, the, the grass industry that's popping up now is probably not even close to being 10% monetized. You know, I, I think that there's so much opportunity out there for especially young people who have that ambition and drive. I, I, I would disagree with that. I would disagree with that. I do agree with him, though, where that, like, you can't trust the government and they will change their minds. And I do occasionally worry, uh, especially in America, that we're, because of the administration that we're living with, they could wake up one morning and just decide, you know what, screw all this freedom. You know, these people have had too much freedom. Let's clamp down on cannabis. You know, uh, I hate to use the word, but, you know, federal law trumps state law. So we're done. We're not going to have this. I don't think that will happen. And, and that brings up another interesting point. In, and this was part of the cultural thing that we were talking about a little bit ago. You know, cannabis, weed, marijuana was illegal. You could go to jail black, white, yellow, or green, you, you, if you got caught with a, any kind of significant amount, you were running the risk of going to jail for a while. And that still exists in more than half the country and everywhere federally. And being cool is keeping your mouth shut, right? I mean, you know, there's only three rules, right? Hang loose, stay calm, admit nothing. Right. And 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 the reality of it is, is that we've got a lot of people walking around thinking that it's legal and they're they're making chicken marks in the sand to people who aren't legal. And there's a, still a large number of, of people, brothers and sisters who are fighting the fight every day and taking care of business in a responsible and cohesive way so that it's not violent, it's not creepy, it's not exploitive, it's not... But they're not registered. You know, they haven't... Or they live in a state where it's not possible to register. And we're, we're in this very kind of confusing moment. So, yeah, the, the government could turn around and go, ah, we were joking, <laughs> you know? And... He's 100% right about all the checkpoints and stuff that you have to go through. Like when I was in Colorado, they take your ID and they scan it. Now, allegedly, they dump it at the end of a week or something like that. But who knows, you know? Right. These things don't go away. Yeah. Another reason to go legacy, right? Or well, another reason to keep supporting legacy yeah. until until the ink is dry, you know? 
another guest, which actually was the most popular guest by far, the most listened to show of, of all the 23 or so that I did, Danny Fields, ah, the godfather of punk. Yeah, <laughs> At first, I wasn't sure if he was a good fit for the show yeah, because yeah. I didn't really know yeah, what yeah. the connection was other yeah. than I knew he was amazing. Uh, uh, that everybody who listened to the music that he put on in front of us was stoned out of their minds. <laughs> Probably, and also making the music and make, yeah, for the most right, part. Right, right, but sure, uh, sure. because of uh, Legs McNeil and Gillian McCain uh -huh. uh, and Please Kill Me website, Oh, linked okay. to that, and uh, the book is actually dedicated to Danny. So as we were talking, one of the things that came up was uh, David Peel. Have a marijuana. Have a marijuana, and Danny signed him, you know, along yeah, with the yeah, Ramones yeah, and lots of other bands, and he uh, told this funny story about how he was in Washington Square Park and he saw David Peel sure. singing that song, Have a Marijuana, Have a Marijuana, and he had been going around like trying to come up with some something for the marijuana because they were had all these drink songs. So you know, uh, drink, drink, drink. Okay. So why can't we also have like a marijuana you yeah. know song? Well, there were a lot of weed songs, but yes, I but mean he they was, were old. They, they were weren't old. recorded though, and yeah. you know, contemporary. And oh, he was, okay, contemporary. Yeah, you know. So he was uh, walking there, and he was working at Electra at the time. So they he signed up. Uh, David Peel and nice. with that record apparently it did quite well. I never really uh, realized Fantastic. that. Oh, good. So that was a good connection. I, I had no idea that it was a huge seller either. Yeah, it was. Did now did he do the the Pope smokes dope? Uh, was that him? I think or was that was that, him yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, David was a character in my youth, great. you know, he yeah. was always around. And then, well, as also a side note that uh, Danny talked about was how. He became a real favorite of John and Yoko. Yes, that's right. That's and right. And they would came to Washington Square Park and saw him, and then they started hanging out together. Right, right. It was like a really cool time. Missed that John, huh? John and Yoko. He was uh, really one of the coolest ever. Hey, do you see the movie Yesterday? No. Wow. It's good. You should. Okay. I'll see it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, tomorrow never knows, Dave. <laughs> tomorrow never comes. No, it does. No, it no, stop. Okay. Tomorrow, tomorrow does come. No, but then it's today. Hello, never mind. <laughs> Another guest. Who? One, one of your f favorites, Ricky Powell. Ah, Rickster. Street photographer, hung out with the Beastie Boys. Rack on tour. A real fanboy. A, a rap on tour. A rap on tour. He just talks that talk, whatever it is. Everybody yeah. loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have no idea what we were talking about when <laughs> neither did he. <laughs> <laughs> but we had the best time, of course, and it was one of the favorite yeah. Uh, yeah, shows that, that we did. Sure, sure, Ricky gives another fellow who gives good mic. Oh, he's funny, funny. And then there was this uh, interesting woman, Lizzie Post, who was uh, the great great granddaughter of Emily Post, oh. who's like wrote the manners book that was like in twenty printings, and gotcha. it's kind of the Bible of the manners world, and she still runs the. Uh, the Institute, but she also happens to be a smoker, and so she decided that there, what the Wait, world she's very polite. <laughs> she's super polite, and and she decided that what the world needs is a is a book to address this uh, smoking, right. you know, manners of smoking, especially in today's world. You mean the, something above past the duchy on the left hand side? Yeah, because you know, because there's like new situations, and oh, okay. So I asked her, what is the most thing that. Uh, People are asking her. Her book was called Higher Etiquette, by the way. I think uh, she says, uh, I think that when it comes to judgment, what's really hard for our community is that on the one hand, we get the judgment coming at us, 
But on the other hand, we can also be judgmental towards others because we often feel like we're coming from a very defensive place. Uh, so okay. That's an interesting uh, view. We're a culture that has often been stereotyped in certain ways, and yet we're an incredibly diverse culture and community and a very broad use of the plant within community. And the more that we can get people to understand that a lot of different people engage with this in lots of different ways, then we're going to learn how to have less judgment of others. I think that the cannabis, uh, I would hope, and I don't, I can't speak for too many because I'm just not that social, but I would hope that at this stage of our development, the marijuana smoker, your average marijuana smoker is less judgmental than ever, but probably not. I don't know. You know I think. Well, she gave the example of how someone came up to her at some conference where she was talking and the guy was like, well, how could you be so stupid to be a smoker? Don't you know? It's you like, mean smoking cigarettes? No. Uh, oh, smoking cannabis. Yeah. So, and she felt like she she got mad. And, but smoking cigarettes is stupid. <laughs> yeah, but she's delightful. But she stupid. was criticizing herself because she felt like she didn't really handle it as. Oh uh, yeah, as well, because she was being attacked. Yeah, yeah, of and, course. And that's kind of what happens. So right, right. Well, you know the thing about etiquette, and I think that there's probably multi levels, and she obviously probably smoke spoke. She probably smoked on this, but uh, <laughs> there, there used to be rules or or, or niceties that you know. Pass the duchy on the left. If you're going to go into a session with friends, have something to contribute, if, whether it's cannabis or munchies or something. Don't break other people's bongs. You know, there, <laughs> they, you know, there was always some the basic rule. Well, there, you know, there was always some kind of unwritten code. You know, and in fact, I think on Reddit or one of the Reddits uh, a few years ago, somebody did put together the 420 code. And it, and it did make sense, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, never follow a hippie to a second location. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, th th there's always been rules to this shit, as they say. Having a, a person with her pedigree speak on it will certainly elevate the concept. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my other guest is Steve Bloom, former High uh, Times editor. Music writer. Oldie but goodie. Very oldie but goodie. <laughs> he was the first guy to put a Cypress, uh, not Cypress Hill, but a rock band on the cover of High Times mm. at a time okay. when people. There was, they I, really I guess so. I mean, Singer days. put. Singer put Johnny Rotten on the cover, so I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a footnote. Uh, I, mean, to, I don't know if that's we have to counts as that. a rock musician or not. Yeah, I think he does. But one of the things that came up then because uh, is the vaping. The scourge. The idea of, like, should you be vaping? Should you, you know, he came down on, like, well, you should, everyone should just be smoking flour at this point, that we need to, until the it's legalized and, and you can have the proper inspections to know what's in everything. I guess that, you know, see, that, that harkens back to trust your sources. Yeah. And that's probably, again, part of the 420 code or rules. Uh, of the ancients, you know, uh, what did uh, Cypress Hill, you know, stone in the ways of the ancients, right? <laughs> okay, but um, say so. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm just saying that they're vaping in and of itself is kind of a new technology. The concentrates that are in the devices are not new. You know, hash oil has been around for 
hundreds of years. I mean, it is, you know, in It's a delivery system. Well, just as a, well, not just a delivery, but a preservation system. I mean, one of the reasons why they started making hashish was to preserve it because plants only last so long. But vaping is, you know, has, has become the scourge because of bad actors, right? And, and, you know, these same bad actors probably exist in the legal markets as well. I'm not going to say it's just all, you know, legacy market bad actors. And some of it's bad information that people are operating on. In other words, the person putting additives into a, a batch of concentrate may actually be thinking that it's not harmful. People use that, the vaping crisis, as an argument for more legalization because Agreed. then you yeah. can have a yeah. better yeah. More way to, to see what's actually <laughs> in the product. Yeah, I know you love regulation. No, I do. I, I, well, I, it's not that I, I, I don't. It's just who controls the regulators and who is the final decision maker on that. Where do we get to on, uh, you know, obviously adding toxic chemicals is bad. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, one of the chemicals that's in every nicotine vape is basically antifreeze, right? Polyglycerin is, is not a good thing, and it's in everything. It's not just in, you know, shitty-made cannabis carts. It's in jewels and... Yeah, no, it's true. Well, that's a big problem as well. Yeah. I had the pleasure of speaking with A.J. Sour Diesel. Uh-oh. Okay, Joe Murray. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he's an OG. He started, you know, he didn't start, but he's gets, he, he has. He propagated. He propagated the sour diesel. Right. And uh, we spoke and he, I'll, I'll read you something that he said. I knew that it could be profitable, but first and foremost, it was always about just getting good weed. There were other things you could do to make money if that was your priority. But my priority was always having the best weed. I'm not saying I invented that there's always been a constituency of people that wanted to have the best weed since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure mm -hmm. we streamlined this whole concept of the best weed and how it could exist in a whole different class because it was worth so much more than just regular stuff. But do you feel like there's like a gradate, you know, that the level of, you know, weed today is certainly much better than what it used to be? No, I'm not going to buy that. No? No, that's, that's, that's some... Uh, the government says it is. Well, the government powerful. says a lot of shit. Uh, you know, I, I, is it more powerful? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. You know, More I mean, THC. They, well, but there's, yeah, but you see you got different breeding going on and all sorts of different kind of stuff happening that, that didn't happen then. And I mean, you know, if we're going to go back and look at weed from the 40s and 50s that's grown in a lot in Brooklyn or in a farm in Vermont, maybe. Maybe, you know, that, that, that was low THC, you know, 5% or 6% or something, 3%, whatever. But the Thai sticks and the Colombians and the Mishmakan and uh, all the gray homegrown that was around in the 70s was pretty strong. And it did the job. And you didn't need to smoke 80 joints to, you know, get a headache or any of that stuff. I mean, there's always been good weed, is my point, at, at least as long as I've been smoking, which is, you know, going on for more than a couple years. of years, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I also spoke to Sherbinsky, Mario Guzman, who's uh, one of the leading purveyors of cannabis in the legal market. Mm. Uh, just, oh, this is the gelato kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who opened. 
uh, called the Hermes of Cannabis. He opened a store on Fairfax in L.A. next to Supreme. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like mm-hmm. the Supreme. You know, he's trying to. No, I've been to. I've to been be to that. his store. You I've have been to his store, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very much on marketing, or at least I asked him to talk about marketing because that's something I'm interested in. And he says, let's say their first impression is the most important thing, especially when they're glancing. So we started our color. Uh, orange. When you glance through all the packaging that's on the shelf, that orange is always the first thing that pops out. Orange is also the most powerful spiritual color in India. Mm-hmm. The orange color is in all the temples, so that color has a lot of meaning behind it. Then even this, from the simplicity of the lettering and so on, the packaging, we took a lot of it to make sure it, it, that we could cast a high net. Right, right. Well, you know, let's talk about marketing, though. Yeah. You know, because I like marketing. going to the market. Uh, you know, you get the cart and you wheel it around yeah. and you grab some soda. Ice cream. Grab some ice cream and you grab cookies. some chips. I love marketing when I'm high. Yeah. <laughs> really fun. <laughs> Orange, you glad I brought that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, I can't really say that the colorization of a packaging is, is a, uh, you know, new concept. I mean, Campbell's Soup. Right, but in this industry, though, it's not, it's, you know, everything has been, you know, through the old graphics of the hippie graphics. Oh, yeah, like yeah. This whole That's new true. style no, you're of right. presentation. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. More streamlined, more, yeah. Uh, yeah. Less, less art, more graphic. So, yeah, so I, I'm going to have to, like, sort of bring this to a close shortly, but I want to. Oh, but we're having so much I know, today. it's great, right? Uh, but I wanted to touch on a couple of things. One is Please. April Pride, women and cannabis. And I think this is like a big right revelation to me okay. talking with her because I really did learn that there's a whole different perspective on the, the possibilities and of cannabis and CBD to helping women, particularly that they're different from men. Mm. And she says, and it just shows that most of the women that I talk to, if they didn't have a relationship with cannabis prior, they found it because they themselves or someone they loved had a medical emergency and they tried everything. Cannabis was the last result, resort. Hmm, really? Wow. And it was the first thing that worked. Interesting. So I think that's kind of something that's really that is coming. Very, yeah. in, well, in the coming years, we're going to learn a lot more. I, about I mean, it. I hate to be like the MCP sexist point of view here, but women have always smoked weed for the cramps. Every right. woman I've ever met. But I here mean, there's I'm it's talking like, that, it's you know, trauma. my grandmother's age. You yeah. Know, would, there's you trauma, know. there's things. Oh, you mean like pregnancy? Okay, okay. And other things that are. Pregnancy, really? Yeah. Okay. That are very specific to women that mm. are. Is this with CBD or is this with hemp? I mean, uh, with, CBD. With, can, with, with THC cannabis. Well, CBD primarily. Primarily. But okay. also, All right. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on the, the gotcha, combo. Gotcha. Okay, that's great. Cool. And then finally. Hey, remember, it's the females that get you high. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll finish with uh, Daniel Pinchbeck. Oh, that guy. That guy. Hey, who, how is he doing back there in 2012? <laughs> yeah, 20, it was a great year. I was 2012 for old Danny. <laughs> so he, he came up with a new book. It's called When Plants Dream. It's called 2024. <laughs> when Plants Dream, Ayahuasca, Amazonian Shamanism, and the Global Psychedelic Renaissance. And so we, and he said this, I think the boomers still need to do a lot more particularly ayahuasca. They should go and drink it in buckets. Uh, I think we've missed a very critical window of opportunity to redirect society into a more regenerative path. 
And now it may be too late to avert unfortunate, really, really massive negative consequences. In retrospect, the baby boomers are going to be looked at as the greatest criminals in all world history because they knew, starting in the 60s, about the ecological and social problems we were facing, and they started this movement. Oh, stop. And, 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 and not only did they know it, they tried everything they could to get that out there. What about Earth Day? I mean, you know, it started in 68 or 69, 70. I mean, there was always a Stuart Brand, the whole Earth catalog. I mean, they, 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 you know, this whole millennial boomers bullshit thing is really fucking stupid. What do you really think, though? Well, what I really think is <laughs> this guy should take some ayahuasca, go back to 2012, and write a book called 2018. The, um, the, the ayahuasca, you, you taking know, the buckets of it yet, man? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that a irresponsible use of any psychedelic is foolish to advocate. And um, ayahuasca is a sacred uh, sacrament that needs to be somewhat um, handled with a uh, shaman's care. Uh, I don't really think it's something that you should drink by the bucketful. And in fact, might be dangerous. Well, thank you, DJ <laughs> Kibitz, for your help today. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is uh, a roundup. I know we did a lot more this year, and I and I invite you to go look it up on our on the Apple Podcast. Well, who Shopper else did you Podcast. have? You must have. Had well, who else did I have? Some of the great Steve shows. Olson, the Skateboarder Hall Skateboard of Fame, guy. who I love. Fantastic. How to be a cannabis cannabis CMO, Jason White, mm -hmm. Supreme Cannabis Leader John Fowler. Shepard Ferry on okay. art and activism. Okay. Uh -huh. Cannabis Now magazine's main man, Eugenio Garcia. Right on. High Society poster boy, Peter Davis, Isaac Mizrahi, all the greats. And thank you all <laughs> for listening, and uh, Happy New Year. This thank will you, probably Dave. air after New Year, but just pretend. <laughs> Go back in the time machine, and I'll see you in uh, 2020. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms. Mm -hmm.